if you've been with us the, the, for this summer, we've been doing a series called Make Some Room, and, and we've been talking about all kinds of different things we need to make room for in our life, because life gets busy, it fills up, and, and if we're not careful, it'll fill up with all the, the wrong things. And so we've been talking about making room for rest, making room, so you can go back and, and check that uh, podcast out a couple of weeks ago, making room last week for sowing, because if you don't make room for sowing, there, there won't be a season of reaping that comes, and just lots of different things about making some room. And today I want to talk about making some room to worship, or making room for worship. I have a particularly interest, interesting perspective when it comes to, uh, to worship, um, because uh, most of the time when we talk about that, we, we talk about like, like what we just did, right? Just mu- musical worship, and, and we'll talk about that more here in a second. But when I, I responded to the call of Jesus, I was in my young teenage years, I was probably 15 years old, and uh, I, I, it was about the same time I got my first guitar, and so I started playing, and, and I could hold, hold a tune, and so they kind of put me in front of people to, to sing the songs, right, um, or, or what we call lead worship. And, uh, but I, I was like really new, like in my walk with the Lord. So um, from that point on, I really spent um, 95% of my time in church services on a stage, uh, leading worship from the time like I said yes to Jesus. So the next decade and a half of my life was spent figuring this God worship thing out and how music interacts with it and how this impacts everybody and what I'm supposed to be doing up here and what I'm not supposed to be doing up here. I, I figured that all out kind of in front of people as I was growing with the Lord. So it made it kind of an interesting journey. And people used to say some like weird things to me, uh, or at least they were weird to me. You may not find them weird because you probably say them sometimes. <laughs> but I, I would come off of uh, a service and people were like, man, worship was awesome today. And I'd be like, huh? Like, what do you mean like worship was awesome? Like your worship? Like, are, are you talking about like the music or what? Like, and I was just confused. I didn't know like what they were saying. Like, I did a good job, and like the weeks they didn't, I'd get super self conscious. Like, I didn't do a good job worshiping today because no one said oh, worship was awesome today. Um, they were just, you know, if they didn't say anything, I just assumed. And so I, I, it was all these things I was figuring out. And I think we have to kind of be careful how we talk about things. Uh, my son, like, he'll say he needs something. I'm like, you don't need that, you want that. What you need is a roof over your head. What you need is food and some clothes to put on your back. And you got what you need. That, that toy is not in the need category. It's in the want category. But if we're not careful, like, we do all kinds of different things. And, like, what we say, like, the words we say matter. And, and it kind of, kind of goes into the way we think. And so before, when, when I was in... in um, like upper high school, I, I read this verse in John chapter 4, verse 24, that said that, the, that God is spirit and, and the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. We'll get to the text here in just a second so you can clear that off. Um, but we'll worship him in spirit and truth. It's verse 24 of this. Um, and, and that kind of just piqued my interest because I thought, man, if I'm going to be doing this, I want it to be legit. Like I want to be a true worshiper. I wanted to do it in spirit and truth, and so I began to just kind of, for the next decade and a half, just kind of explore what that meant. And I'll be honest with you, in the, in the three and a half years that we've been a church, a, a toddler church now, three and a half or something, as we've kind of walked through this journey, I think I haven't taught on this enough, and so for that, forgive me, I'm, I'm going to try to do a better job of teach on the, teaching on this more regularly, but I'm going to take the time today because this text has been one of the most foundational for me. Um, when it comes to it. And I'm not just going to focus on that one verse. I really want to read a large part of, of the chapter. 
before we dive into that, I want to kind of unpack maybe our thinking around what worship is and what it actually means. If you look to the Hebrew um, shakah, which is the, the word for worship in the Hebrew, and we look to the Greek in the, in the word pro, proskaneo, I'm not good at pronouncing these words, but proskaneo, they, they pretty much mean the same thing. Sometimes we see a word, like in English, like, um, I'm trying to think of one right now, love or something in the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew language, or the New Testament, and then the Greek. If you're, if you're studying those things, and, and the words actually mean a little bit different things, so they take on a different life and context. But with the word worship, they actually mean pretty much the exact same thing. Uh, and it really talk about, it talks about finding the most worthy thing, or if it's easy to think about, worthship. What is worthy? And as we start today, I want every single one of us to realize that we worship. Like whether you are making a concerted effort to, to worship something, you are worshiping something or someone. You are, you, something is getting your attention and in your life, you are finding something most worthy. And worship is not just the, the song set, as we kind of often say, but it, it, it interacts with every single square inch of our life. There is not a moment, a conversation, a thought process that cannot immediately turn into worship. And that's why one of the commandments we see, one of the first words that, that God gives us in Exodus 20 is to not have any other idols. Don't, don't make idols, so don't think you can come in my presence and out of my presence. God's everywhere, and he's worthy of our praise. So the Hebrew and the, and the Greek understanding of these really meant to lay prostrate. I don't know if you know what that word is. It's, it's not prostate, it's prostrate. There's an extra R in there, and that changes everything drastically. So, um, and it means to, to lay down. So it's finding the thing that's most worthy and then laying down before it. And there's some things in your life that maybe you've laid down for, you've sacrificed for. In fact, the first time that we see the word worship show up in the Bible is about Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. In verse 8, I believe it is, and he says to, God tells him to go up and sacrifice his son Isaac, and he says, stay here, he's talking to some servants he had, stay here while me and the boy go up to worship. I don't think it's coincidence that the first time we see worship come up is, is a direct parallel to Jesus laying his, God sending his son and laying his son down and sacrificing, and then Isaac going up and saying, we're going to worship Wrapping my brain around a father looking to his you know, servant and saying, hey, I'm going to take my son up here and kill him, and that's going to be worship, is beyond my wildest imagination, and it's just crazy for me to wrap my brain around. But God wasn't interested really in the sacrifice. It was never really about the sacrifice. All the sacrifice, uh, sacrificial stuff just led us to Jesus, that he was the ultimate sacrifice. And that's why he wouldn't take that son that day, that God would provide the lamb just like, Jesus, like God pr provided the lamb in Jesus Christ. That would not be about our works, but most of the time, how we worship God on a daily basis, and particularly maybe in these Sunday gatherings and, and musical time, it is most of the time built off of how well we're doing, not how good God is. And so I want to unpack this through this text in, in a, just a beautiful way. It's been one of the most life-transforming texts. And, and I, could, I could literally preach on this for hours and hours because I, I love it. So I'm going to do my best to not do that. Everybody said amen. Um, 
because there's this one text in the scriptures where Paul is preaching and a little kid falls out of a window because he falls asleep. So I don't want to do that to you. So I'm going to try to make things shorter today. John chapter 4. Good, good news. He did come down there and revive, revive the child so that the child lived. Um, let's go to John chapter 4 verse 1. And I want to talk to you about making some room for worship today. So now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Remember that, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son, given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, remember that. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. He's breaking it down for us, helping us understand the context. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water, this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Remember that. He, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. Uh, what you have said is quite true, sir, the woman said. I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when, the wor- when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth I want to give you four things today on making some room for worship. And I think the first one, um, but actually before we get to the first one, let me give you some context for what everything that's being said here because uh, we're having all kinds of racial tension in our nation here and Jesus like barrels through that right into some of our hearts that are struggling with this, uh, that, that, that you've got biases in things. There was intense racial bias between Jews and Samaritans. They hated each other. There was, Jews had all kinds of derogatory language towards Samaritans. Uh, they were mixed Jew and Gentile, and they considered them like havesies. I don't say that, whatever, but that they looked on them. Their terminology for them were like dogs. They looked at them like dogs. Uh, they had no respect for them. And the scripture says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And, and the very honest thing is that he, he, that was the most convenient route to go from Judea to Galilee. But it was not the smartest. Most 
all people that were Jews would not go through Samaria. They would go around. It's like that one neighborhood, like when your kid starts driving, like, hey, just don't go through that neighborhood. Like, let's go around. Like, you've, got, you, you've probably got some one of those neighborhoods in your life that mom's probably said, hey, I don't want you hanging around over there. So that's, that's kind of what it was because there was this tension there. And the scripture says that Jesus had to go through. Like, he was on a purpose to meet with someone. And he meets with this woman at the well. And again, because she was a woman who had quite the reputation, uh, and, and um, she went at noon time, which was really because she didn't want to be around the mean girls that came early in the morning. Because most all the women came early in the morning because it was hottest in the middle of the day. So they came to drink water and get, the, get their water from the well very early before it got hot. But people that didn't want to be around the mean girls <laughs> went, or that had a little bit of a reputation, went at other times so they'd avoid the conflict. Is everybody with me? Stand with the context of what this is. So Jesus had to go through, and he makes this opportunity to meet her. There's also this whole thing where, where men don't meet with other women in public, and specifically Jews and Samaritans, and specifically rabbis and Samaritans, is like, bam, Jesus cutting every religious thing. He's like cutting it to the heart and being like, all your racial issues, all your religious issues, you need to get over them because I'm going through it, and I care about this one that everybody looks down on. Okay, so Jesus like barrels through all of our religious and racial junk and tells us what real life and love is about. And so let's actually get into the four things I want to share with you today. Uh, the first thing is to, uh, when we're making room for, for worship, is to unwrap the gift of God. Unwrap the gift of God. And this opportunity that Jesus goes and he meets with this woman, and he's like standing before her, and he's like, sis, if you only knew... The gift of God that was right here. You would like realize, can you imagine like standing before God and like, yeah, you're a prophet. Thank you. Jesus Christ, God's son in flesh and blood. And she's like, I can see you're a prophet. But like, no, I'm not just a Jew. I'm not just a prophet. Like, he's life. He's life. God in flesh. There's a couple things that keep the gift of God wrapped up. The first one, particularly in just this whole idea of worship, is religion. First one's religion. One of the places in Matthew says, Jesus says, look, by your, by your traditions, all the things you put in place, your human traditions, by your traditions, you, um, that, not that one, I'm not reading that one yet. Um, by your very traditions, you violate the direct commands of God. By your very traditions, you violate the direct commands of God. And like we're, we're a younger church, what, three and a half years in, and we don't have a lot of like hardcore traditions or things that everybody's grown accustomed to. This is the way we do everything or made any big changes where people would get bent out of shape. But I guarantee you, like come three or four years down the road um, and like something's changing about the model, not about the mission, not about, the, about our core values or anything of who we are and our mission, but just some things will change. And what we'll realize is that we've made idols out of some things, some human traditions, if we look through the Old Testament, Jesus, or God, is constantly angry about, uh, about Israel choosing to worship less things, things that are less worthy. And a lot of times we can think that's just because God's a jealous God and he wants all the worship and all the glory. And, and yeah, that's true, but it's also because he knows that we are not satisfied when we worship those things. And so before we think it's just all about that, it's also about our, the depths of our hearts that come into um, this world exploring why we're here and our existence and our purpose in this world, if you really want to discover that, start with this, that you were created to worship God. 
and be in communion with him. And one of the big things that keeps that wrapped up is religion. The other text they have back there is in Matthew as well. I confuse them. Um, But Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah, and he says this, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And I, I wonder if we were really honest with ourselves. Like, not just the, the gathering times in which we sing musical worship, but on Wednesday when we throw a nice little scripture post out there, I wonder, or, or we say a little prayer and it's just out of our head and it's not really out of our heart, right? I wonder if we might be doing things in vain and just maybe going through the motions of singing songs and are we really honoring God with our heart or are we just doing lip service, and that God's not pleased with that. He's always looking to the heart. And we can make excuses for those things, but it's a matter of, of realizing that, hey, like, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> I'm a hypocrite. I, I, I want it to be from my heart. I want to be a true worshiper, because that is what God is seeking. That is what God is seeking. And so the first really thing is is expanding our our thoughts beyond the Sunday worship set list of music, what worship is, and and getting out of trying to wrap God up into these little boxes. When he said, you know, don't make an idol, he's saying, I don't want you to be able to think you can come in and then go out and then you're no longer in my presence. I don't want you to, to, to think that you just come to church. I want you to understand you are the church, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and then waking up within us to the presence of God all around us that we cannot escape, and we're making choices about what's most worthy on Thursday afternoon and on Saturday, and when we're sitting down and doing our our budget, and when we're making all of our plans for the future, we're making decisions about what's most worthy and who is most worthy, and so worship entails everything. You can't escape it, and so realize you're a worshiper. Um, The second thing is is routine um, that keeps it wrapped up, and you may say, routine, what are you trying to say there? I think what I'm, I'm trying to get at is that most of the time we don't allow God in, into our routine. Uh, and if we do, those routines only become religious. They only become religious. I, I think that um, making ourselves disciplined to do, um, to let, let God into um, the beginning of our day and not just when we're laying me down, Make, making room and um, not getting into just the, a routine that is not based off of um, really the priorities that the scriptures teach us about walking with God. I think our routine constantly, I, if you're wanting to know how to break it up, I, I think this, this Samaritan woman, she was just doing her routine. And like, like really making room for worship, like God, Jesus, like meets her right in the middle of her routine and he's about to break that stuff up. Because she's going to come running from this encounter with Jesus. She's going to be running back to the city telling people about this man who told her everything about herself and about this living water, and she's just on fire. And so some of us in the house, like our routines, like God wants to, to break them up. Maybe, maybe time for prayer and, and, and time for reading God's word and, and really spending time with him has not been in our routine, and God wants to break that up. 
and that it begins to bleed out into everything. A lot of these disciplines we do are not about just that moment. It's about so that moment bleeds into everything. The times we gather isn't just about this time. It's really about this time bleeding into everything, this encounter with God. So religion and routine, two things that really break it up and can help unwrap, unwrap the gift of God that's right in front of us. The first is revelation that I was just, I was just alluding to, revelation. What I mean by this is personal encounter. I can tell you things, um, and I can encourage you in things, and someone else can tell you things about what happened to them and their relationship with God, but revelation is when it hits you. You ever had one of those aha moments? Like, ah, that that resonated within me. A revelation is getting a, a, a fresh glimpse of who God is at the very personal level. And sadly, many of us as Christians are very malnourished in the nations, um, and particularly our nation, because we live off of regurgitated revelation, right? A quote that was from a man 1,200 years ago that was passed down, pastors have been used it, using it for a long time, and now it's finally regurgitated. And look, there's lots of great revelation. We get off quotes and people my next point is relationships that God uses people. So I'm not saying that, but I'm saying most of us, we just live off the regurgitated stuff and not the fresh word of God, the revelation that comes from a personal encounter that within me, and I think making room for worship is, is, is making that a very, very personal thing. Whatever song, you know, for me, a lot of it kind of goes through the, the song lens because I did that for many years. That whatever song it might be or, or whatever scripture it might be, it, it's, it's saying, God, what are you saying to me? in this moment, through this text, right? And it's important to not just ask that, but say, God, what were you actually saying to these people at that time? That helps us know context and, and, and bring our understanding of the text. And then from there, God, what are, you saying to, what are you saying to me through this? And that helps God just speak personal encounter and revelation. The second thing is, is relationships. God loves to reveal himself to people and through people. For example, Jesus Christ. He revealed himself through a human. Like, he loves to do that. He constantly did it through the prophets. Jesus was just quoting Isaiah, who was sent from the Lord to reveal. Moses was used to reveal and lead God's people. God loves to use relationships. And some of you might grow cold of this because we talk about it a lot around here. That's because, like, God talks about a lot. The scriptures are packed full. Jesus went and did life, chose to do life. Like, they could have all stayed in the same place, encouraged Jesus, gave him money to go do the mission. He could have taught them in a class, but he said, come on, let's go. We're just going to do life together day in and day out. It was in the context of relationships. And so you want to help, like, unwrap some of those things first, like, get it personal. And, And then secondly, really begin to know that God uses you in the context of relationships and he uses other people in those relationships as well to help unwrap those things, help us unknow, or know about it. I mean, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there also. Another scripture says, if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight, that there's something, multiplication that happens when two of us that are experiencing something, experiencing something individually, personal encounter, when we start getting together, the context of the where two or three are gathered text, the context of what's being said there 
is whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That says when two people that are, are genuinely seeking and, and like going after the Lord and praying about something, like when we get together, something happens. Something happens. Um, that he is so present. Like more than just like, and I don't even know how to describe this or help you wrap the brain around it because I can't. But even more than what the daily, when we get together and like we join in here, or maybe you have prayer like at work with a couple of people that you know are believers and you're all kind of struggling with a certain situation or someone's struggling with a sickness and you gather like something happens in that moment. If it's internal, if it's external and physical, something happens and there's power in that. So don't discount the relationships in your journey uh, and how they have a huge impact. So unwrap the gift of God. The second thing is drink the living water, right? He says, if only you knew the gift of God that was right in front of you, you would ask him for a drink. And, and, and she's trying to wrap her brain around what he's talking about. She's super confused. And she's like, hey, like, what, what do you mean? Like, I, I won't have to come back here. I'd love to not have to keep coming back here and do this same thing. I'd love to quit searching because that's kind of what she's been doing in her life and that's kind of what we do in our life. Right, we keep looking for things to satisfy us. Like she thought her first husband would satisfy her. She thought her second, her third, her fourth. And she's just looking. She's looking for something to satisfy her. And maybe for you, it's not a string of husbands or relationships. Maybe for you, it's the comfort of your money. Maybe it's uh, a journey for success in your web business or whatever. Maybe it's something that, or a drug or a drink that we just keep looking for satisfaction and something that will satisfy and we keep searching and keep looking. And he says, I want you to have the living water where you'll never thirst again. And I think for many of us, like we do, like we have an encounter with Jesus and then we take a, a few weeks down the road and like all of a sudden, we're not as satisfied as we once were. And like, what changed? Like, did God change? And I think practicing some of the things of routine and like letting God into those things and, and moving from a time of worship to a life of worship helps to begin to break those things up because I realize that I have constant access to the God that spoke the universe into existence, that put every star in place, like, wants communion with me. And just wants me to lay down before him. And my life to be laid down before him. So drink the living water. It's about being satisfied in our relationship with God. John Piper has this quote that's been circulated for, for a long time. And it, it's, it's been a really important one for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. On understanding this idea that God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. That's to say that, that my whole journey to like glorify God and let, let my life be for him, he receives the most glory out of my life when I'm just simply satisfied in him. When I don't keep looking for another idol to put next to him. That I love that last song we were singing. There's none beside you. Jesus, there's none beside you. Like we don't keep looking. We just say, God, you are enough. Period. I find satisfaction in you. 
And for a lot of us, we have these expectations that we're looking for. We have these things that we want in our life, and we're looking to, to fill these things, right? We keep looking for answers or satisfaction relationally or emotionally or physically or financially. We keep looking for answers and satisfaction in some of these things. And God is most glorified when we just stop and we just get satisfied in him. I love what Paul said, and he's like, look, I've learned to be content in all things. Whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, whether people like me or people don't like me, I've just learned to be content. I've learned to be satisfied in God. That's such a freeing place to be. Some of you are are maybe struggling with trying to please everybody all the time, and you realize you can't. You can't. It's exhausting. You just be satisfied in him. Some of you are very driven, very driven. Like, that's probably God-given, but don't let the, the God-given drive for success and for growth and to do great things, maybe even in his name. Don't let that drive, that blessing become a curse. Just be satisfied in him. I think always on the tagline of everything that, that, that's in front of us is God. Even if this doesn't happen, God, you're still worthy. The Lord gives and takes away, and yet still we can say, bless, blessed be the name of the Lord. We can continue to live that. So let me give you four quick things on nurturing satisfaction in God, because this is something we struggle with. How do we continually nurture, turning our attention back, and just being satisfied in our walk with God? First one is rest. Uh, The second one, solitude, gratitude, and prayer would be the next ones. Rest, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. where it's not all about our striving, it's not about our accomplishments and our success, but just, I'm just as satisfied when I'm not hustling as I am when I am working. Because what happens is we kind of build a little God of ourselves and we're worshiping how well we're doing. We'll talk about that more in the next point. Um, solitude, getting alone. And like for some moms, for some dads, for some very busy singles in the house, the idea of solitude seems like a pipe dream. Um, But let let me just tell you, like Jesus constantly slips away from the public ministry to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit and just to to be alone with God. And I don't know when it's got to happen, if it's you're just a couple of minutes while you're sitting on the john or if it's on your drive into work like that solitude needs to start having some meaning, right? And not just veg time, right? Because we get so busy and then we veg. And, and not real solitude of, man, I'm just hearing from God. And for me, my drives are, are just a lot of me and Jesus time. I got a nice little hike from my house, but I love it. I love it. I used to have such a short drive to the church, and now I, I love being alone because I just get to spend more time with the Lord in it. Use it. Just use it. Enjoy it. Begin to enjoy that. I'm talking way too long. Uh, Gratitude. I'm working on it. Um, Gratitude. We talked about this a lot last year, that gratitude directly impacts our attitude. You want to be satisfied? Thank him for what you do have. Right? Quit complaining about the job you don't have. Just complain about what you do have. Quit complaining about the friends you don't have, the relationships you don't have. Thank God for the ones you do and invest in the ones you do. Like It begins to change everything. We start getting satisfied way more. You know, don't complain about the house. Just like, thank God you got a house. You got a place to rest your head. Prayer, just to, where it's a daily thing that praise and prayer is constantly on our lips. We're, we're praying just without ceasing. Constantly just in an attitude and a mind frame of prayer. And you say, that's, that's hard, Pastor. Like, when I'm trying to work, how am I supposed to like, keep praying without ceasing? 
It's, it's, it's not a matter of like constantly, do, it's just always awareness, always realizing that we are in his presence and our life is a worship. It's a laying our life before him on a daily basis, not just um, a weekly basis, like at one point or something. So drink the, the living water. God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. I, I struggle with this point for a long time, with just being satisfied. And even still, it's something that you constantly have to manage but just be satisfied in how good God is in my life. Um, be grateful for that and walk in that uh, and see what it births out. Just so much room to worship. Drink the living water. Uh, the, the third one is, um, is to get honest. I get honest. Depending on what um, maybe movement um, or denomination or background, if you had any background with church, um, Many times, like certain movements or denominations or um, types of church gatherings, have you check out certain parts of your being at the door. When they asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment? He says, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, the, the first Jewish prayer that they pray every day. Lord our God is one. Adonai, Lord our God is one. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, and strength. Um, and then Jesus goes on, the second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he, he, when they ask him the greatest commandment, he says, love God with every part of your being, every part of your essence. But many times when it comes to worship, sometimes churches or traditions have us, you know, some will, hey, check your mind at the door, this is going to be a completely emotional physical experience, right? You've probably been in maybe a hyper-emotional thing where you just feel like the mind is checked out. Or you've been in an environment where the body is not allowed to be expressed. Like, like we don't do the, the physical thing here, right? It's just a mental worship. It's just a mental worship. Or you've been in those environments possibly where you know, people come in and maybe it's mental and, and maybe it's even emotional and there's some body stuff, but when they go out, the will was never engaged. Nothing ever changed about that, and their life was not worship. It was just this, this time in which we engaged, and then as soon as we went out, we checked everything out. When I talk about being honest, I'm talking about all of our being. God wants to engage every single part of our being, to engage the will, to engage the body, to engage the mind, to engage the emotions. Let me talk about each one of these really briefly. Engage your mind, I, I think it's, I think this is where a lot of us stay. Like our mind is engaged, but, but other things aren't. Um, for me, I was actually just talking with the, the, the guys who lead worship here for our musical worship and, and was just talking with them and saying, hey, for me, this was always a struggle because it, there's a lot of things to think about. Like it, for, let, let's just use their context for a second. You know, worrying about the, the guys connecting and being in the same rhythm um, and, and when we're making a transition to here, and what key this song is, and all these, who's singing what, who's playing what. I think if we took that over into th the rest of our worlds, we're thinking about what's going on with our kids, we're thinking about the stress of the job, we're thinking about what's going on financially, we're thinking about our goals and expectations, we're thinking about what we don't like. Our brains are just as easily wonder. Right? How many times have you gone through, you ever, you ever drive from one place to another and you got there and you're like, I don't remember <laughs> driving. I don't remember anything that happened. My mind was, anybody ever been there? That's a scary experience, first of all. You know that and you're like, whoa, like, how did this just happen? 
How many times do we do that when it comes to worshiping God? Like we get through the whole day and then like we look back and, and like there was not this engaged mind with God. How many times do we do it when we gather together in worship and we're just kind of checked out or we're just being entertained, which is one of the, the biggest kind of idols that's going on right now uh, across the church as a whole. And it's not just American. If you want to call it American, it's not. It's everywhere else too. Is this a worship attainment thing where, where we're just here to be entertained and we're not truly worshiping. We're worshiping with our lips, but our hearts are far from God. So engage your mind. Think about what's being said. Connect to what God's speaking into the recesses of your mind. Engage your body. If we look through the scriptures, there's so much just commands of normal. Like, I, I mean, it, it's such a, a, I mean, clap your hands, lift your voices, shout unto the Lord, lay prostrate. I mean, the very meaning of the word in Hebrew and in Greek means to lay prostrate before the one who is worthy. That's, that's the understanding of worship. So the body is engaged. And I think some of us, we, we don't want to be hypocritical, but a few years back, I began to think about this in kind of a fresh way that sometimes I, I actually use my body to engage my mind. And other times, um, it, I have to be careful that my body is not engaged, or my body is engaged, but my mind is checked out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where like I can I can do this religious thing because I've done it uh, whether I'm I'm um, bowing before the Lord lifting my hands or singing songs or doing any of these type of things, I'm doing it with my lips and my, my heart's not there and I'm just doing the physical stuff, or other times where like I I can actually use my body like I, I I'm I'm struggling to surrender a certain thing in my life and so I lift my hands like praying God help me surrender this because I, I I'm I'm wanting to release this so. We actually use our body to activate those parts of our heart um, and mind that are struggling to connect and struggling to focus. A lot of times, uh, again, because most of my life, understanding this whole worship thing, particularly in the, in the public uh, or communal uh, region, was on a stage, and I'd constantly have my eyes closed, and then somebody would comment, hey, did you see that? Well, you know, you see that one person that was whatever? And I'm like, no, man, my eyes are closed because I can't, like, when you're, like, here, it's so easy to, like, get, like, distracted, be caught up in what's happening there. And, and it's so easy, kind of, wherever you're at, to be distracted and the things going on in life. So engage all these parts of your life. Engage the emotions. Bring your story. Bring what you're struggling with to the table on a daily basis. Don't feel like you... you can't come and worship God today because you messed up yesterday, right? Jesus boldly like went through and had to go through Samaria to meet this woman. And, and, and he's helping to break up the routine. So don't feel like because you messed up yesterday, you can't come today. If, if you struggle with that, what I had to realize is that I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't understand what grace really was. And I would rather trust in my own perfection and my own ability to be righteous than trust in the righteousness of God. I, under, I, I had to reach a place where I realized I didn't, I didn't understand the gospel. That it was by faith I'd been saved, not by my works, so that no man can boast. Ephesians 2.8. I, I had to wrap my brain around that, and that was a struggle for me. And let me just tell you, like we don't worship God from the truth of our perfection. We worship God from the truth of his perfection. 
we don't worship God from the truth of our perfection. We worship God from the truth of his perfection. So if I messed up this week, I can still come in and worship the Lord fully. I don't have to drop down this full ladder and, and make this constant thing where I'm beating myself up. Really what I'm worshiping, when we come in with that mindset, is like, oh, today I really feel confident because I had a great week with the Lord. What we're really worshiping is your own performance. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not grace. We can boldly come into the throne room of God. We, we talk about the curtain being torn uh, and the veil t- tearing. Really what that was symbolic of, and, and it, it was a very visual sim, uh, symbolic representation, is that the holy of holies, the, the presence of God, there was this Ark of the Covenant, God's presence was held within this, Right? And only a priest could go in. Only the high priest could go in once a year. And when he went in, they held a chain in case the presence of God just cast him out. And they did all these different routines and rituals so they could drag him out and they didn't have to go in there and die either. But when Jesus was on the cross, that veil tore. It was symbolic and representative of God's presence dwelling evermore inside um, our, our lives and as well in all of the earth that we can will neither worship on this mountain or that mountain, just like with the Samaritan woman. You see, Jesus got real with her, and he kind of read her mail. Uh, there was, I heard the story of this professor uh, when I was in college. The school he went to, or uh, one he taught at previously, he was telling about this professor there that had the, the spiritual gift of knowledge. And I don't know if you know what this is. I'll just describe it briefly it's not like someone who just knows a lot, has a high intellect, has a lot of information. That The spiritual gift of knowledge is when God supernaturally gives someone information about what's happening in a person, another person's life that they may know or may not know. Okay? And so people were terrified of this professor on campus. They would see this professor coming and they'd go running the other way, scared that they would know before the age of social media, they would know how they've been partying that weekend and get in trouble or something. And so um, this, they would run from this professor. Maybe, I think some people think like pastors all have this ability. So like we know what's going on. And, and, and some people may even think you have this ability. In fact, you're just a Facebook stalker and you know, you, you watch people's lives way too much. You don't really have a gift of discernment or of knowledge. You just are a Facebook stalker. So, um, but this was, I, I think... With Jesus, when he meets this woman, he reads her mail. She's shocked. She's shocked. And it forces her to get honest. My son's been, um, we've been struggling uh, because he's lying. He's lying. Um, And I hate that. Because I lived for a long time as a liar. (laughs) Um, And and I, I don't like what I'm seeing in him. And I'm trying to break this down for him when he lies to me that it's not okay. And, um... I keep telling him, I'm like, son, I, most of the time I know already what the truth is, so your lying only makes things worse. You're, you're going the hard way with that. And I said, and even when daddy doesn't know, God knows. God knows everything. He knows this. He's omniscient. He, has, he knows everything. He knows the hairs on your head. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. God knows, so you can't fool him. So just quit. Quit the lying. Get honest. The Psalms are a beautiful picture of just honest worship. God prefers your honest complaint than your hypocritical worship. That's one of my mentor's quotes. God prefers your honest complaint than your hypocritical worship. 
Everybody with me there? Just bring, bring the real stuff. Bring the honest stuff. God knows you're not fooling him. Bring that to the table. If you're hurting, say, you know I'm hurting. Before you say that with anybody else, just be real with God. Be honest. Get honest. That's how we do that on a daily basis. We don't feel like we've got to put on a mask with God anymore. We can just be real. We can be honest. And he, he draws us out of that. The, the last thing is to, to be present. To be present. There's, uh, there's time coming and it's here. It's, it's present. Jesus was saying then, it's true now. Time's coming and it's here. When the true worshipers will worship the God, worship God in the spirit and in truth. The word pneuma here is representative, um, just like in the Hebrew that ruach is the word for spirit that we see and the spirit of God hovered out over the waters. And in the New Testament, in the Greek, pneuma, it's the breath of God. It's the very breath of God. And, and the, the spirit is never in a, um, a depersonalized force type of mentality. But it's always God's personal nature interacting with us everywhere we go. That's, that's the understanding of spirit. So when we worship him in the spirit, we worship not in some depersonalized force that we're like doing Jedi mind tricks to get to encounter us on Tuesday afternoon, right? It's knowing that he's close and he's present. And when God is present, I choose to be present, knowing that he's always present and he's always most worthy. He's always most worthy. More than anything else I've got going on, he's always worthy of all my worship and all of my attention, all my devotion and all my focus. And so I turn my attention. I choose to be present. I choose to be present. And I'm not trying to run you down like a, um, some other teaching on mindfulness. I'm talking about the presence of God and encountering the presence of God on a daily basis and realizing that worship is not confined, it's not boxed in, it's not wrapped into these little things, into these, these traditions and religious stuff that we feel comfortable with, right? I'm comfortable doing the hour thing on Sundays. I'm comfortable doing that, but am I going to be comfortable when God says, take your son, take him up the hill and sacrifice? Am I going to be comfortable when he's, I'm not saying he's going to do that. If you ever say that God told you, told you to do that, I'll call you a liar, okay? He didn't tell you to do that. Don't take one instance and make a rule out of it, okay? Um, but encountering God on a daily basis. Whatever you've got going on in your life, whatever you've been through, wherever you've come from, God loves to make worshipers out of harlots. He loves to make a worshiper out of a harlot. And maybe you're struggling with your past. Maybe you're struggling with uh, the religious routine. Um, Maybe you're, you're struggling with engaging your will. Like you're, you're, you're getting comfortable in the, the Sunday worship thing. That's kind of normal to you now. But engaging your will on a daily basis and turning your attention and focus and getting off all the other stuff. We're struggling there. So just know that, that, that Jesus wants to meet you right where you're at. And something special happens, and you guys can come. Something special happens when we stand together and we worship truly from our hearts, not just from our lips, but from our hearts together in this environment. Something happens when we gather together, and there's something special that you can't get on a CD somewhere, that you, that, that you really struggle to get even in an online experience. 
but when we gather together as God's people in the same place, and not when we just do the religious thing and we sing a beautiful song, but when each of us encounter God in that moment and lay our lives before him. That's, that's a holy, holy experience that we take for granted sometimes in, in our opportunity to gather. Whether it's in this place or if it's in the day-to-day life, don't take the presence of God for granted because he is always present and he is always worthy.